Absolutely. Stay on your feet just for a moment, if you don't mind. Stay on your feet just for a moment. You'll get a chance to sit down. I'm going to be standing for the next half hour. You're going to be okay. Hey, I just want to take a moment, and uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Scripture says this, to show honor to those who work hard and guide you spiritually. And I believe that here is a safe place at Local City Church. If this is your first time visiting or maybe this is your first time looking for a new church home, you're in a safe place. I'll tell you why this is a safe place, because with Pastor Ryan and Adrian, they practice this principle of they care more about you than what you do. And I want to encourage you, lean in, show honor where honor is due, but know they are working hard. If you've never pastored before, then you don't understand the prayer that goes in behind the scenes, the care and the compassion that they extend for you on a daily basis, the willingness they have to come meet you at the hospital or in a parking lot somewhere, pray for you, walk with you, love you no matter what. And so can we just take a moment and just give God a big, big praise for Pastor Ryan and Adrian Miller. Come on. So good. So good. You may be seated. Our pastor loves y'all so much. And uh, you, you two, and Shepherd, come on, Shepherd is a world changer in the making. Speaking of world changers in the making, my wife would love to be with you all here today. That's my beautiful wife, Danielle. Uh, but she's been under the weather for a little bit, so she's like, sharing is not, or excuse me, caring is not sharing in this season. And so she's hanging out, getting better. But this is my wife, Danielle. We've been married 10 years now. Come on. Absolutely. And we have two kids. Let's you know we've had at least two nights of passion in our marriage. Amen. Uh, our daughter who's in kindergarten's name is Savannah. She is keenly aware of the world around her and knows how to articulate that well. Uh, our son Kyrie is about to turn two, and his favorite word right now is buckamirsh. <laughs> Absolutely. Because this year we will repeat as champions. Okay, five people are in agreement, absolutely. The rest of y'all must be Patriot fans. Uh, so, my wife, <laughs> one, I like it. God bless you, sir. Uh, my wife is an a incredible professional uh, in the marketplace. She excels, is very gifted at problem solving, and does so on a consistent basis. But, man, we just, we just have fun being a family. I have two favorite things in life to do. It's to be a husband and to be a dad. Uh, everything else falls in line after that. Uh, our pastor sends you a ton of love, Pastor Q and, and Miss Trish. Uh, he leads us well from the standpoint that he is always nudging us to take the next right step of what's healthiest and best for who we are today, but also who God has called us to tomorrow. And that's my desire for you today. And my assignment is to help you take your next right step as well. If you're in agreement, can I get a good all yeah? Oh, yeah. I got a couple of really cool friends here with me today. Uh, one, Malcolm Fletcher, uh, he's coming to hang out with us today. He's from the chapel. He has been at the chapel since the day the chapel opened 12 years ago. Uh, he and his incredible, incredible wife, April, and their kids. That's it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I love it. I love it. Such a good friend. And then one of my guys, Coach Marquel Kaysen, head basketball coach over at Canterbury High School in St. Pete. Uh, we've been in a relationship for a decade now. He still likes me, and I still like him. I got a chance to hang out with his program the other day. I'm just, I'm just thankful for people that sharpen you and that keep you going, and I'm encouraged by the way that they live their lives. And if you get to know them, you'll be encouraged by the way that they live their lives too. Amen? 
Hey, I think looking at scripture is always a fun thing to do when you come to church. Can I get a good amen on that one? And so I want to look at it, one quick scripture with you this morning and found in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, thank you so much, Jonathan. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, there's, there's a topic that I'd love to unpack with you today, and it's this right here. It's, it's, it's influencer. It's influencer. Just look at somebody next to you and say, you're an influencer. You are an influencer. You're a little quiet with that one. You're not sure. Come on, look at the other person who knows they're excited to be here today. Tell them, you're an influencer. You are an influencer. Uh, this isn't just something that Instagram or Facebook concocted on their own. This is something uh, that we can glean from Scripture. Jesus makes a very pointed statement in the book of Matthew. He says in Matthew chapter 5, speaking of believers and followers of him, you are the salt of the earth. As you're looking in your notes, you can read along. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, somebody say, in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your what? Instagram post. That they may see your group text. That they may see the way that you treat your neighbors. That they may see your what? Good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray today. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is not just powerful thousands of years ago, but it is readily applicable to where we are today. We ask that you'd speak to us by way of your Holy Spirit. We devote this time, this space to you. Help us to see who we are in light of who you created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. And we thank you that today the Buccaneers will take their next step towards another Lombardi. Amen. Amen. If you've never prayed for a football team, I can't trust you. I can't trust you. My first thought for today as you're taking notes coming directly out of Matthew chapter 5 is this, is that influence is about impact. Influence is about impact. When, when Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 5, uh, he is making a very clear delineation that there is an assignment that we have as believers and followers of Jesus to carry out what's known as being the light or also being the salt of the earth, also being a city set on a hill. And it's, it's really for one specific purpose, that we would do good works with our lives, with our words, with how we approach day in and day out and bring glory to God. We're just simply arrows that point back to our creator when we allow ourselves to do good works. When, when we had a chance to cuss somebody out, but we chose to bless them instead. Okay, don't get your church face on this morning. Come on. When, when, we, when we treat our spouse and honor them the way that Scripture encourages us to do, uh, when we'd rather lay hands on our kids and not in prayer. Okay, but we choose 
to bless them and speak life over them. When we do these things, when we, when we uh, treat and honor educators and administrators that are constantly pouring into our children, when we thank first responders and military personnel, when, when we take time to do these things, we're, we're showing good deeds through our lives. And these good deeds, Jesus says, they glorify God who is our Father. And they unlock, here we go, an opportunity for us to have influence. Just look at somebody next to you and say, you're an influencer, you're an influencer, you're an influencer. We, we got familiar with the term influencer throughout the year that was 2020. I feel like for the rest of our lives, we will always go back to there once was a year called 2020. Uh, we, got, we got familiar with the, the phrase influencer, influencer vibes, hashtag influencer vibes. During, during 2020, uh, when most of the world shut down due to the global pandemic and, and you found stores and malls falling in line with that. Companies had to get creative, and so they reallocated some 60 to 70% of their marketing budgets away from mainstream media now to provide individuals that they called influencers with product and with the opportunity to share their experience. Because whether it was Pepsi or Sony or one of my personal favorites who absolutely killed the game in 2020 was Dior makeup when they launched their new firm foundation 67 y'all didn't know a brother knew about Dior uh-huh gotcha here we go 67 shades they did 67 shades of new foundation in 67 days using 67 different influencers because what they found is that culture was paying attention to those who had three and four and 200 million followers, but how many would agree Britney Spears ain't living the same life we live in? <laughs> so they tapped into influencers, here we go, that look like us, that sound like us, and that had believable experiences with a specific product. I'm gonna say that one more time. They look like us. They sound like us, and they had believable experiences with a certain product. Can I extract the principle from culture and help us to see something, spiritually speaking today, that the goal of us as believers and followers isn't just to show up and say, I felt God today, or I had a great time at church. The goal for us as believers and followers is that we would, here we go, recognize the activity of God in our lives, receive his love and forgiveness for our lives, and then go extend it to a hurting and a dying world who's looking for people who've had believable experiences that look like us and what? Sound like us. I, I, can, I, can I be a little... Uh, forward with you today. I feel like I'm among family. I get a little, how do I say this, disgruntled with some believers and followers of Jesus at times. I'm a human just like you. And one of the reasons why is because sometimes they bring people to us as pastors and expect us to work magic for someone's situation. As if God didn't save you speak to you, 
fill you with this Holy Spirit, forgive you of your sins, tell you that you are loved, and then give you the opportunity to be a ready and available vessel for him to work through to impact somebody's life. Somebody got mad at me because I said, don't bring your cousin to me no more. You go pray for your cousin yourself. Why? Because Jesus is no respecter of person and hears from you in the same way he can hear from me. I thought I was in a room full of influencers right here at local. So, so, so with this in mind now, it, it gives us an opportunity to realize that influence is about impact. We can make maximum impact, here we go, by how we allow the influence that God gives us to then come through our lives. However, my second thought for today is this right here, that godly influence begins with humility. Godly influence begins with humility. Humility, it's not a word that we like to hear. It's definitely not a word that you like to hear when you're in a conversation with your spouse and they look at you and say, you need to humble yourself. That's not, uh-uh, just so we're clear, don't go throwing humility around on a first date. There won't be a second one. Come on. Uh, but humility is necessary for growth of our influence as believers and followers. I think someone who had the ability to be incredibly influential in the New Testament, but understood, here we go, understood the assignment, was John the Baptist. John had a ton of followers and was influencing people regularly. But John the Baptist, when Jesus showed up on the scene with a gangster lean, makes this statement in John 3.30 that I must decrease so that he might increase. It indicates that there's a level of humility to understand that although my influence is at an all-time high, I'm the setup guy for one who's coming behind me that can save you and redeem you and give you a fresh and a new start in your life. Influence is, begins with humility. Uh-huh. This, this is fleshed out, I believe, we have opportunities to see this fleshed out in our own lives with how we approach, here we go, the responsibilities that God has placed in our hands. I'll never forget the dialogue that my dad and I had when I was around 15 years old and you start getting that little itch to want to go drive a two-ton vehicle. And he said, Kyle, if you ever want me to trust you with the keys to the car, I need to be able to trust you to take the trash out without me asking. That went over two people's heads. I'm hoping you get it on the way to Popeye's after the fast. Here we go. Uh, here we go. So, so when my dad says this, it's just principle that directly correlating from scripture that if I can't attend to the little things, I won't be trusted with more. And I think oftentimes in the generation that we are all a part of, I'm not talking down, I'm not talking at, I just want to talk with for a moment. We have to be so careful that we don't equate the knowledge we gain from Google as having wisdom to execute the influence that God desires to give. Because knowledge alone, according to Scripture, I'm talking to somebody, it just makes you puffed up. Don't look at them, but have you ever been around someone who knew a lot that was just really prideful? 
I said, don't look at them. Come on, look right here. Keep it locked. It's those people nobody wants to be around and nobody wants to listen to because all you give is your opinion on things. But when we're locked into that state of spiritual growth called humility, we realize that he is in control and I am not. That he saved and I could never. That he forgives and we all struggle. But it's in this moment here that God prods us to be totally dependent on him because if I influence without him, I'll lead people astray because I'll get them more drawn to me than I will to their creator. This is why the humbling process is necessary because it prepares us for God to exalt. Be careful if all you do is promote you and not allow God to develop you for his moment of promotion and elevation. Because while you ever had a moment before where everyone else seems to be succeeding in their career path opportunity and you're rubbing three part-time jobs together to produce a full-time income? Y'all quiet. I'm going to talk to them. Here we go. Sometimes it's God's way of developing the character necessary to be able to carry out the call that he has down the road. But when we get disgruntled in the present and eliminate ourselves from the future, we miss what it is that God has because we got wrapped up in how I saw it instead of how he already established it. Jeremiah 29, 11 still says, I know what the plan I have concerning you. And it's a good plan, and attached to that plan is a hope and a future. Godly influence, it, it begins with humility. And I'm, I'm so thankful that throughout Scripture uh, that there are characters that show us what this looks like. I want to dive into a text just for a moment, and this is where we're going to park our car and spend some time getting to know each other today. But before I do, I want to give you a little bit of context because context, I think, is key to understanding the truth of God's Word. Before we hop into this scripture that you'll find in, find, excuse me, in Mark chapter 14, the writer here, whose name is Mark, he is a very direct communicator. He's not going to send you three text messages when one will do. He's also known to write a book that is full of action. He goes from one action scene to another to help you to understand his lens of how he saw the life of Jesus. And in Mark 14, we'll see a story that talks about a woman. Now, please understand that it's important that when you read scripture, you don't just look at it and walk away, but you read it and digest it like you would some Ruth's Chris after the fast. Come on, somebody. I mean, no, you're not driving through the drive-thru at Ruth's Chris. You're going to make a reservation. You're going to park. You're going to ask them for it to be medium. I'm sorry. Somebody's like, stop talking about food, Reverend. I'm a little hungry right now. Come on. Cauliflower is really good right now. Amen. 
So in, in Mark 14, the writer here talks about a woman, but please understand that there's something significant in the fact that the writer actually acknowledges the existence of a woman in the context of culture of that day. While Jesus was not misogynistic in any way, he'd run to those who were marginalized and forgotten. The culture of that day did not see the happenings of the lives of women as being worth engaging with. But this is why I love Jesus. Because while everyone else pushes them away, Jesus says, I want to allow those who have been forgotten to get close. And in Mark 14, there's a story told about a specific woman. Scripture reads like this. You've got it in your notes. Now, the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and teachers of the law were thinking of a master plan to arrest Jesus and secretly kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Here we go. But while he, Jesus, was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman with a jar of alabaster, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. But then Jesus spoke up, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial, and truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. She had an opportunity to take advantage of a moment that she was given. And our lives revolve around a series of moments. Will we take advantage of the moments that we were given in the moments that they have been given to us? She comes and presents one of the greatest gifts that anyone could. It's, it's a box of nard perfume. It's a root fragrance from the Himalayan mountains that costs around a year's worth of wages. And she is probably saving it to have her own body anointed when she dies and is buried. But she recognizes that there's something different about the person sitting at the dinner table. Please understand that this woman has seen Jesus do do some things and now she's compelled to a response can I pause for a moment and say this is the purpose of worship that it's not just lyrics and songs and a raising of the hands that you're asked to do but when you've seen Jesus do something when you've seen him grab you out the backside of a club somewhere and save you from yourself your next response is just to lift your hands and say I need thee oh I need thee Mm-hmm. 
she has this and she recognizes this and she breaks this perfume and now the aroma of her worship fills the room because your worship is contagious and it'll stick on you to where everywhere you go something will be different about you not because of who you are but because of whose you are as well but I love this, and then in John 12, John 12 has a parallel scripture, and we'll read this together today. Watch this. This is what John 12 says. It's on the screen behind me. Six days before, same story, different lens. Same story, different lens. Same story different lens. Six days before the Passover, Jesus comes to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here, what? A dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Lazarus was among them. And Mary takes out a pint of pure nard. Uh-oh. This lets you know exactly who the woman was that anoints Jesus. Can I pause right here for a moment and say, let's look at this entire scene in its context. From Mark now to John, same story, different lens. And John gives us even more specificity of who is sitting around the dinner table. The host of the party's name is Simon the leper. Understand that leprosy was a debilitating skin disease, contagious in all of its ways, and when you got it, you'd be quarantined outside of the city gates to either die or be proven clean by the high priest before you could come home. So clearly, because Simon is hosting a dinner party, he ain't got leprosy no more. So now you realize, though, that Scripture doesn't call him Simon the healed, it calls him Simon the leper, which indicates that he had an issue at one time and is still being identified by his issue, but not to talk down to him, but to show you where he came from. Can I stop for a moment local and remind you that the story of where you came from is just as important as the story of where you are going to. But it gets even better. Simon the leper is at the table. Lazarus is at the table. Yes, that Lazarus, dead for four days, wrapped in grave clothes that Jesus calls out in John 11. Martha is also at the table, the sister of Lazarus. Lazarus, who once yelled at Jesus and said, would you get Mary in here to serve with me? But Jesus looks back at Martha and said, the dishes will be done at some point, but Mary has chose something better. And the thing she chose was just to be in proximity to who Jesus is. So you've got Simon the leper, formerly dead Lazarus, self-serving Martha, and then you've got Mary, because there's always something about Mary. And this Mary was the same one that yelled at Jesus in John 11 and said, if you had been here when we called for you, when I text you, when you got the email, 
my brother would not have died. But now Mary has seen Jesus do something in response and she saw Jesus raise her brother from the dead and she's seen Simon now be healed and she's seen Mary have a little bit of that edge or Martha have a little bit of the edge tucked off of her. And now in this moment, because of what she's seen, she says, I know I have issues, but I'm still going to present my worship. Why? Because your issue is the invitation that unlocks the door to your influence. While we're talking about Simon and Mary and Martha and Lazarus, I just want to pause for a moment and say, we all know you have issues too. That's a great point in the message for you to look at the person beside you and behind you and just tell me, you ain't fooling nobody. We know you've got issues. Come on, somebody. We, we know you've got issues. We know some of us have attitudes and some of us gossip and some of us don't know how to get things together on our own, but we're still convinced that we're the ones that are going to get it together instead of bringing it to Jesus. All of us have issues. Some of us have issues with God because we're mad that he didn't do what we wanted wanted him to do in the moment we wanted him to do it. Some of us are going through physical challenges right now or emotional trauma or mental issues and we're hoping that this doesn't disqualify us from who God created us to be. I don't know where you fall on the spectrum of issues, but I came to encourage you today that your issue is not a disqualifier. Your issue is the invitation that unlocks the door to give you the influence that God desires you to have. I'll say this and I'm out of your way. The influence that God gives you is because someone needs to know that they can live in the darkest day that you've already overcome and find hope. Somebody's got to know that there's life on the other side of divorce. Somebody's got to know that your suicidal thoughts don't have to culminate into action. Somebody's gotta know that you can be in a therapist's office on a Thursday, but still worshiping Jesus on a Sunday. Somebody's got to know that the broken relationship and expectations that went with it was not a disqualifier for you. It was actually something that God is using now to draw you closer to his presence because around that table were people with a whole lot of issues, but who's sitting in the middle of the table with the people with issues? His name is Jesus. And if he sat there with them, he's with us right now. His presence is here. His power is here. And at the offset of this year, as we seek him first, he's unlocking another level to our lives. And the key to it isn't that we got it together. The key to it is that we stop and say, I have issues. But even more than my issues, I have a Savior, and his name is Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, and we're going to pray in just a moment. But I want to give someone the opportunity to be able to invite this Jesus into the proverbial table of your life, to lead you, to guide you, to correct you when necessary, but most importantly, to be the captain of your heart for the rest of your life. 
It's a simple prayer of commitment. Local city, I'm going to ask that as you've already prayed this prayer, that you join us in praying it out loud because it's not God's heart that anyone would be left out this morning. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and then pray with everything we've got. Just say, Jesus. Come on, say it like you mean it. Jesus, I need you. I've tried on my own, and I've failed. But today, I choose you. Lead my life. Guard my heart. I hand you my issue and I make you my savior, both today and every day to come. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, put those hands together, local city. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Let's respond to the word that we've just heard in worship today, knowing that our Jesus is with us every step of the way.